Previously on Dream Realm. Yeah, I guess I love you. Was that weird? Hiram asked, cringing slightly upon his face. And while the three months had been amazing and the love was fostered, they'd wake up in a similar bed five years down the line, wondering if they had spent all their love too early on one another. How are you, Isaac? Have I been forgiven? Or are we here for another blowout? I'm not in the mood for a blowout. So what's wrong with me wanting to make this real? We've been doing this for whatever this is, by the way. For, uh, what? A year? This isn't real. You have three murders, each apparently done by a different person. See, I disagree. I think the same person did all three murders. So besides age, what connects these murders? Uh, well, I'm still looking for the connection and the source of how they'd be murdered. The more you talk about this, the more convinced I am that maybe a single man is behind it. So tomorrow, will you do some investigating with me? You're listening to episode five, the audiobook slash podcast project, Dream Realm. Voiced, written, and produced by me, Matt Rebar. Part two, chapter four. After causing a car accident on the south coast and abandoning the Dream Realm for normal sleep, Jordan awoke to her current alarm. The alarm on her bedside was flashing the time as 9.23, which gave her 37 minutes until investigator Elias DeAngelis showed up at her door. Jordan wasn't sure how she could help him, although he seemed resolved to prove how the deaths of three girls were interconnected. Jordan was soon showered and ready to go, eating through a bowl of cereal when Elias knocked on the duplex door. She answered it and let him inside as she placed a cereal bowl in the sink. So where to first? Jordan asked, giving over the reins to the true leader of this crime party. I think we followed the timeline of the crimes, Elias explained. So first up, we'll go to Marius Gibbons' apartment. You know, we can talk to the neighbors again, maybe get a hold of our friends, see if there was anything they might have known. Didn't you already interview these people? We did, but sometimes it takes a second conversation to stir up people's memories and importance to detail. And, well, to have a different pair of ears is nice as well. They stepped outside to the driveway and stepped into Elias' 2044 Chevrolet. His car squeaked under the street while Cardonia's top hits played on 94.1. Her apartment isn't too far from here, Elias explained as they drove into the city, aiming for the large campus of Cardonia University, which was east of the downtown block. Cardonia University housed tens of thousands of students, ranging from humanities to sciences to business and other practical career paths. Some of the campus living arrangements were close to the main block of educational buildings, while other official and unofficial campus living arrangements sat closer to downtown Cardonia or into the nearby suburbs. So she was studying physical therapy. Jordan muttered, Why? What got her enthralled in such a path, especially at a young age determined to get her doctorate's degree? She loved the subject. She loved both science and sports, so it seemed like a good subject for her, you know? Elias explained, keeping his eyes peeled on the road. She had completed her undergraduate with Cardona University, playing for their basketball team as well. She moved into an apartment by herself on the outer cusp of CU because she felt like she should get out of the way of the undergraduates on campus. It's upsetting. She wasn't even a year completed into her physical therapy doctorate. She had a ton of potential, too. The coach, the players, her colleagues, staff members, teachers, all of them commented about how brilliant, sweet, and hardworking she was. Nobody was able to point out a single soul who'd want to hurt her. 
Perhaps someone hurt her because of her innocence. I thought about that too, but Marius Gibbons is... She's different from Cindy Roberts' tumultuous chaos and Lachey Palsy's friends and family that's filled with red flags. Even though Marius was the first kill, would someone go from killing someone so innocent to killing those who are not as innocent? Unless the innocence of Marius almost acted like the loss of his own innocence. I don't think serial killers think that deep, Jordan snorted. She might have just been at the wrong place at the wrong time. Or just by walking past him did he strike an interest. None of the girls looked the same either. It's not three white girls or three Jewish girls. They're random victims in a way, although what would connect them? Elias DeAngelis pulled up at a meter besides Maris's apartment complex. It was a three-floor thin building shaped like a rectangle and situated between other buildings of the same size and height. These buildings had only been built within the last 30 years, although they kind of looked rustic with a fake sense of history within them. The two walked inside, got through the security program with the code Elias was given on behalf of the property manager, and made their way to the third floor. In total, there were 16 apartments, including the sub-basement apartments, which had those kind of thin basement windows. Maris lived in one of the basement apartments because it was cheaper due to the fact that it was in the basement. Elias had the key to the apartment, and the two entered. The apartment suite was rectangular and featured a kitchen, a living and dining room, a single bedroom, and a bathroom. It was a little spacious considering how the room was designed. The space was definitely monitored by some girl in her 20s. The furniture was chic and monochromed in beige, pictures on the borderline of being involved with a sorority scrapbooking, decor most likely bought at Target Clarence, and books about physical therapy and sports latent onto the free space. There was a television with a USB cord for a laptop as well. Posters of the Cardonia sports teams lit up the walls, as did a couple posters of Cardonia University sports, specifically basketball. She had a laptop. Did you find it? Uh, we found it and managed to probe it. Nothing suspicious came up. Her life feels too... beautiful, Jordan explained as she eyed some of the photos. She could easily identify Maris in all of them. She looked joyful with her friends and family. Each photo seemed more haunting than the photo previously. Each story whiffed out as easy as breath to a lit candle. It's tragic to think she was a victim of circumstance that her peaceful life would have remained had she just not been randomly selected. Jordan moved to the kitchen while Elias offered a reassuring nod. The kitchen was simple. A blender, a coffee maker, a microwave were situated on the counter while there was no remaining food within the kitchen. All of it had been thrown out. The bathroom, too, held little secrets about understanding more about Maris Gibbons. She enjoyed Japanese blossom soap, used head and shoulder shampoo, used minimal makeup, a rather dry towel hung on the rack behind Jordan, who couldn't help but wonder if it had been used during Maris's last shower. Finally, Jordan entered Maris's bedroom, the core of the apartment. Maris had been lying there upon the bed when she had been found. Her death happening on the bed, besides it, whatever secret said life could have, died in this room before Jordan's forage. There was a large desk, a book laying open to a chapter about muscle memory and pain, while a small bin of clothes had yet to be sorted from the community washer and dryer. More posters hung up on the walls, a small tray of trophies loaded into the room's lone bookcase. On the bedstand table was a cute lamp and a dream mask and its connecting cables. Interesting, Jordan cried out slightly as Elias walked into the room. She went on the dream realm. Isn't everyone? Well, she had all these pictures, I guess. I didn't think she'd have time or care enough to go on. She had a mask. Doesn't mean she used it too much. True, but it's on a charger dock close to her bed. She probably used it at least on a weekly basis. Maybe she used the dream mask for dates. She was single. 
Jordan turned to some of the photos. What if there was a boy she pissed off? Some ex-boyfriend? We already checked. It doesn't appear like she dated anybody at Cardona University. And even if she had, uh, how do we connect that to Lachey and Cindy? Damn. Jordan moved out of the bedroom and to the door. Let's go see if the neighbors heard anything. The neighbors had not heard anything. While Maris Gibbons had lived in 002, and with 001 being absent, 003 and 004 were both home, and neither of them really could attest to much. Jordan and Elias left the apartment complex in less than a half hour upon their arrival. If nobody saw anything, then he must have snuck into her apartment, Jordan surmised. Or she greeted him, let him in? Granted, the accounts of an old man and even older woman didn't say any much. I mean, they're both sleeping. They didn't hear anything. The neighbors, maybe they had sleeping medication that just blocked out any chance of them hearing anything. Should we go down to see you? No. That sounds like a waste of time. Jordan looked around the street and towards the intersections, which had video cameras. The apartment nor the street have cameras. That's a facet which would have saved us so much time. It's 2060, and we still don't have cameras on every goddamn block. Well, people want a right to privacy, which means people's right to live is taken away then. So what should we do? Elias switched gears. Should we go down to see you? Fine. I guess we can, Jordan agreed, as they entered Elias's car. Did anyone on the basketball team have an unverified alibi? Two players, Jack Ravelski, Mason Perro, but both of them said they were at the party. But there's no photos of them at the party. To make it more interesting, their phones were turned off, so we don't have a location for where they were. Phones were turned off, Jordan questioned. That has to be something. Ironically, basketball practice was in session that Saturday mid-morning. With important games coming up, Coach Byers was making everyone work hard. He was also still in shock about the death of Maris Gibbons earlier in the week. She was just amazing. I, I can't even begin to explain what an asset she was for the team and the players, as well as an amazing citizen in person. Well, we do plan on catching the man responsible for this, Jordan explained. We will keep you notified if anything else comes up. We did have a few questions for two players, Jack Ravelski and Mason Perro. Without hesitation, Coach Byers turned out to the sea of college men. Ravelski, Perro! Coach Byers cried out to the players. Immediately, two broke rank and ran over to stand beside Coach. You two, go talk with these detectives, please, okay? Yes, sir, both men said at the same time, as Coach Byers turned to yell at someone's lack of form. Minutes later, Ravelski and Perro were within separate racquetball courts. Where were you on Sunday night? Everyone else was at some kind of special hurrah party. You and Perro were the only ones not accounted for. DeAngelis asked Ravelski, who immediately turned sour. I was at the party. So was Perro, Ravelski snapped. What ground do you have questioning my alibi? Well, everyone else in there has at least three or four photos, a couple videos as well, but you two aren't to be found in any of it. We were there. Just because we didn't use social media doesn't mean we weren't seen. In the room with Jordan and Mason Perro, the truth had quickly come out. We were there. Mason explained, but we were in the garage. Why were you in the garage? Jordan questioned. Jack and I, um, uh, kind of seeing each other? You two are involved romantically? No, not romantically. I guess just sexually. I mean, we were in the garage just fooling around. We turned off our phones just so we didn't have to worry about other people. I promise that's what we were doing. Do you have any other proof besides your word? Jordan questioned. Mason sighed and pulled out his phone from his basketball shorts and showed Jordan a photo of him and Jack Ravalski cuddled up together. Ah, I see. Jordan's mind was cleared. How long has this been going on? A couple months, uh, ever since Jack broke up with his ex. 
you do realize it's okay if you're bisexual or pansexual or gay? I'm, I'm not. It's just different with Jack, okay? Minutes later, Jordan and Elias were walking out of the sports complex. Jack was lying about being at the party. No, he was there, Jordan explained. He was just getting it on with Mason Pero in the garage. You're shitting me. Nope, Mason came clean, even showed me a super cute photo of the two of them. So we can cross them out? Yeah, they seem rather happy sucking each other off and killing Maris anyway. They stepped out towards the campus parking lot where they had parked. So should we go investigate Cindy Roberts' house? You said she worked for the Jory's, right? That's not too far from here. Maybe we can stop there first. Yeah, we can. Elias nodded. I'll be tempted to buy food, but it'll be weird questioning the place while eating alcohol's own. Chapter 5 While Elias drove from Cardona University to Giore's restaurant, Judge Lynn Rextrom happened to call Jordan. So I'm making enchiladas for tonight. Figured it would be a good kick for a Saturday night. Lynn explained over the phone. You don't need to bring anything. Just yourself, okay? But make sure you look good. Get here at 6.15 just so I can just take a good look at you before he comes over, okay? Oh, this is tonight, right? Don't tell me you forgot, Jordan. I didn't forget. I just, well, I remember now. Please tell me you can still come. I can, just, but please tell me you're not putting me through some blind date. I mean, I'm not. And I promise you, it's just, it's just a little getting to know you kind of dinner. Those are the worst. 6.15, Lynn chuckled before hanging up the phone. Jordan rolled her eyes and looked over at Elias. I've been roped into a dinner at Lynn's house at 6.15 p.m., which means I need to get ready at, like, 5.30. Don't worry, we probably will be done before that, Elias confirmed. I do actually want to have a social life of my own. Oh, any plans tonight? Nope, that's why I said eventually. Jordan laughed while Elias parked the car a couple doors down from Giori's. But quickly enough, the two were within the restaurant speaking to the staff's manager while the fumes of good food poured over the seating. Cindy was a good server. She just came with a lot of baggage. Giori's restaurant manager, Linda Marola, explained. She had issues with the staff, issues with the customers, when the customers were hard to handle. I mean, it was hard to keep her here on staff sometimes. I liked her. I almost did. But those that didn't like her absolutely hated her. I don't even think anyone on my staff was involved in her death. Not even Desmond Ray. Desmond claims he was at the bar next door. Do you or any of your staff members have any verification on that? Actually, some of the managers told me that there were photos taken and Desmond is in a lot of them spending from midnight to two in the morning. We usually clear out of here around 11 to midnight. I'm not sure what time Cindy was killed, but if it was before two in the morning, it wasn't Desmond Ray. Could you see Desmond Ray actually killing her or hiring someone to kill her? I would be shocked if I found out he killed her, but I, I think I wouldn't believe the theory that he hired someone to kill her. Their relationship was a little volatile, but it was dictated and handled between the two of them. There was a heavy personal connection between the two of them. I, I think a third party wouldn't have been used. I think if the crime was passionate, you know, it would have been a passionate crime, right? Desmond Ray wasn't on duty, but a few of those in the kitchen pulled out the photos of the group at the bar next door upon their cell phones. Soon, Elias and Jordan were heading over to Cindy Roberts' home, which she had shared with two friends. I get how two old people might not have heard anything, but how do two young girls both go undisturbed in the night of a clear break-in? I understand that Roberts lived on the ground floor and her roommates lived on the second, but it feels awfully strange all the same. It takes a lot of sound to wake someone up from sleep, and a mini commotion from the ground floor was probably not enough to reach the sleeping bodies of two people upstairs. They arrived outside the quaint home to find one roommate, Chelsea Breve, home. She led them through the house, explaining that she and her third roommate, Rita Ree Hayworth, had been barely holding it together since Cindy's death. How do the three of you know each other? 
Um, well, we met on the edge of college, very late in the year. We were actually all taking up jobs in Cardonia, so we decided to live together, and Cindy was always the odd one out. She quit her corporate job and went into art for a minute, and then she became a server full-time. She would be depressive and manic and go through issues with family and friends, and she and her boyfriend would claw at each other and then just make passionate love. I mean, she was confusing but predictable in her actions. Did you expect her dead at some point? No, no, not dead. I, I expected something to stop her, whether that was the law, an injury, money, or... Okay, maybe death, I suppose, but one could only hold on for so long like that, the way she was living, right? I guess so, Jordan nodded, as they entered the back room which had belonged to Cindy Roberts. The room was still considered an investigation, so it had remained like it had been when Cindy had been discovered. The bedsheets were gone from the bed, most likely passed down the line for purposes of evidence collection. Unlike Maris's simplistic and neat decor and evidence of brain activity, Cindy's room was filled with piles of clothes, knocked over books on shelves, and the occasional canvas painting. A box of condoms sat proudly on the dresser between a pile of makeup products and beautifiers. Jordan, using gloves, opened drawers to reveal silky thongs, a dildo, and a few wildcard items. Jordan also came across a small video game device, a dream mask, a couple of lighters, and a lone box of cigarettes with one remaining soldier and what appeared to be some kind of scrapbook from years ago. While roommate Chelsea had remained in the hallway outside the back room, Jordan and Elias were looking for anything that would give way to her killer. There's no way to tell if this was truly a struggle. This girl could just be naturally messy, and if Chelsea and Rita don't know how she was keeping this room, then it's all arbitrary. I thought coming back here for a second time would stir up some ideas, but uh, sadly, I have none. Elias sighed, looking into the desk area of the room to find a diary. Although, if you want to take a look at her diary... Read me some highlights, Jordan muttered as she went through the closet filled with all sorts of clothes, business clothes, athletic clothes, rather thin and sheer clubbing clothes. Nothing appeared cohesive about Cindy Roberts. Well, we already took copies of this back at the office, but nothing important really jotted out. But, well, she starts by announcing that she's quitting her shitty job in the diary, and then she moves on to artistic expression, how people don't understand her. Goes into details of her becoming a server, trying to understand more about people and herself. It does discuss her relationship with Desmond Ray, the original highs and lows, the building highs and lows, the other boys and girls, but mainly Ray. Well, and the last entry was... Three weeks ago? What stopped her from entering things in this diary, do you think? Hmm. Well, let me see it. Jordan muttered, and she grabbed the diary out from Elias's hands. She eyed it for a second before responding to the question. Well, it's because someone tore out the pages of this diary. What? How can you tell? By the ridges. No wonder none of you guys noticed this. See, it's hard to tell unless you know what ripped pages from a journal look like. But see, look how thin the book is compared to the binding. Jordan held the book so that it was now rather evident that the diary was missing pages. Shit. So do you think whoever killed or took these pages? Well, that's my first idea. Or genuinely, she could have been the one tearing out pages. People have been known to destroy their diaries before. Well, what did she write down that she would want to rip out? Or what did she write down that someone else would rip out of the diary? Jordan turned out of the room and moved down the hallway to Chelsea with the diary in hand. Was there anything weird about Cindy in the last three weeks? I... I don't know, Chelsea whispered. To be honest, she'd been just getting a little crazy lately. I, I, I just remember one night last week she came home and slammed the front door shut. And just, I was in the kitchen and I walked over to her room and I, I asked her what was wrong. But she told me that there was no way I could understand that I hadn't experienced what she had. 
She said the only people who understood were some friends of her, some other friends. I, I, I don't know who she was talking about, but she practically closed the door in my face. What other friends did she have? I have no idea. I don't even think she really had any. After finishing up at Cindy Roberts' bedroom, Elias drove the two of them to Lachey Palsy's residence. Lachey's parents almost refused them to actually enter the house. They didn't have the actual warrant on hand regarding the crime scene. On top of them, the parents refused to talk to them. That was a common theme with Lachey's friends and family. They were silent. It was clear they didn't trust the cops or the process. Well, I wonder if there's something more why they don't want to speak with us. Jordan sighed as she flipped through the photos of Lachey's bedroom and body within the nearby street. They had stopped in the street, but nothing had came up on the scene. Instead, they came back to Jordan's apartment around four and spent another hour and a half brainstorming. They probably didn't want to speak to us because we're part of the police, but maybe they feel like whoever killed Lachey will kill the rest of the family. It was a rather gruesome murder. I wouldn't even wish that on my worst enemy. I still can't help but think of what Chelsea told me back at the house. About a night when Sydney came home upset. She talked about these friends who understood what she was going through. Who do you think these friends are? No idea. Do you think her death is connected to these friends? It could be. I mean, maybe one of the people who killed her were a friend, or maybe Lachey and Maris were even part of that friend group. How, how would they have known each other? I don't know. That's the missing link, obviously. Well, what do you think connects the three? Pretty much nothing. There has to be something. Obviously, there would have to be something connecting them, but we're clearly unable to detect what's connecting them. Jordan eyed her phone and stood up. I better start to get ready for this enchilada dinner. What are you going to wear? I'd rather wear nothing and just stay here, but I guess that's impossible. You have to go. You promised Lynn you would. I'm just going to go relax. Jordan moved to her bedroom and opened up the closet and began moving clothes. She only owned skeezy painting and athletic-type clothes and, of course, the occasional thrift sweater alongside her professional court ensemble collection. There wasn't really anything which seemed to scream enchilada dinner, although Jordan decided to make it work with her most unprofessional professional outfit. As Jordan got ready to leave, she placed her phone, wallet, and keys on her large bedside table, and as she prepared to put her supplies in a small clutch purse, she noticed that the dream mask was on her table. She ended up staring at the dream mask for a second, leaving her room and walking back into the living room. Where are the photos of Lachey's bedroom? Right here, Elias explained, pulling out a series of photos from the sea of paper and handing them to Jordan. She immediately flipped through the photos, eyeing them quickly but moving on when the photo proved to lack what she desired. Soon enough, though, she came up to a photo which helped her theory and she looked up to Elias. What are you doing tonight, after this stupid enchilada dinner? Chapter 6 How are you? Hiram asked upon her arrival into the bedroom. Only a couple weeks had passed since she had met Isaac Cora within the dream realm, and Jordan had been barely speaking to Hiram since then. Normally, Hiram would be asleep by now, but for some reason or other, he was still awake with a magazine in his hand. I didn't expect you to be awake, Jordan responded, as she kicked off her shoes and took off her work dress and hung it into the back of the closet. Her underwear was next to come off as she made her way to the shower. Did you drink too much coffee today? I'm just feeling more awake than sleepy. Hiram smiled. But you didn't answer my first question. How are you? I'm okay. Jordan sighed. A bit exhausted. You finished that court case you were doing with January, right? Yeah, we ended up winning. It was close, though. I could see the defense's impact on the jury. But we held strong. Good. Hiram smiled softly. But his smile was more reflective of pain than it was happiness. Uh, I'm sorry, Jordan. I haven't really been there for you lately. We haven't talked much, and I don't know if there's an issue or if I'm making something out of nothing, but thank you for being here. Thank you for being strong. 
You're fine, Hiram. There's no need to apologize. I mean, we've both been busy. It's not like we have no excuses. I love you. And sometimes it's hard for me to show that past, you know, just to say it, a simple statement. I, I know you love me, and I love you too. For the first time, that statement felt forced from her lips. Two hours later, she was deep within the 1980s West Coast, sitting at a stool within yesterday's and sipping on an amaretto drink. How are you? Isaac asked, sitting down next to her. In some ways, Jordan had not desired to see him, although more so she had wanted to come across him tonight. Conflicted, she admitted while continuing to sip her drink. Yourself? I'm not as conflicted, fortunately. Good, don't be. It's a shitty feeling. Okay. I'll never make sure to be in a tough situation again. <laughs> Asshole. I've been learning from the best. So what's on your mind? My fiancé. Uh, like I suspected, you had some complicated romance going on in the real life of yours. The last few months have been empty. We both go to work, come home, and sleep, and go back to work as well. And the weekends, well, I'm just... I'm still usually working, but he goes off on his hikes and his trips without me, and, he, and we're living such separate lives, and that's probably why I don't mind sleeping with you, especially because this whole place is a fantasy world anyway, and I didn't really have a husband then. He's a fiancé, but still, even then, whatever. Tonight, he apologized to me. He genuinely had been feeling bad this whole time. He reminded me that he loved me, and I said it back, but I, I didn't really feel it. I just said it to say it, and we had sex, but it was just... So passionless, and I just don't know how to find that spark we once had. Eh, maybe you'll recover it, maybe you won't, but you won't. I mean, you're just going to have to decide your priorities. Is he your priority? Is it your priority? What do you want? I... She thought about it, but she didn't know what to say. Jordan wanted her career to keep going strong, but she didn't know if she saw Hiram in her future. It wasn't an exactly terrible thing, was it? She wasn't opposed to him being there. It was just that, for some reason, he wasn't a definite part of that future. Still conflicted? Yeah. Let's just drink. They had a couple more drinks at yesterday's before stepping onto the west coast. Down below was the large spiraling beach, barely visible in the dying sunset. There were floors to west coast as the entire city was built over mountains' descent, streets running parallel and connected with steep staircases and side paths and alleyways, but pretty much from any viewpoint, you could see the ocean. They moved down to a couple bars like Jody's, the kind of hole-in-the-wall you'd go to as a 40-year-old, Peach Palace, a strip club featuring co-ed strippers, but then closed it all off with Boardwalk Cafe, which was a beautiful bar spread over the water. Lights hung on the top of the ceilings over the fences which protected people from falling into the ocean, but they ended up on the beach and ocean either way, drinks later. <laughs> Is this cliche? Jordan chuckled as she held tight to Isaac's waist. I don't think so. If everyone does this, then it's... Is it cliché or is it normal? <laughs> is there a difference? Oh, absolutely. Cliché makes it seem like everyone does it, but nobody does. You know, normal, it seems like everyone does it because they do. <laughs> I like the definition you provided. Does it hold up in your courtroom? <laughs> Maybe. I'll have to get back to you on that. Jordan laughed, her voice crystalline within the beach. Other lovers were down and around between cute hand-holding and the completely sexual beach fornication. I'm so I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to have sex tonight. A mentally drunk but physically sober and asleep, Jordan whispered as they swayed together in front of the waves. Don't apologize. I don't need to have sex tonight. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. I just like spending time with you these two weeks, you know? Jordan chuckled, continuing to eye the view in front of them. This was one of those times where it almost appeared to be reality. 
She was drunk, but, you know, asleep. The ocean in front of her, nothing more than code from a system. How a computer could mimic real life seemed impossible, yet she could feel the wet sand beneath her feet and the crest of crashing waves upon her knees, and all of this happening while she remained asleep next to her fiancé. Chapter 7 Soon enough, it was 6.15pm, and as promised, Jordan Furman arrived on the front stoop of the Rickstrom household. She actually had taken one of her bottles of wine, figuring Jordan might as well try and interact with the dinner that was happening. Lynn opened the door, looking marvelous and smelling like delicious food that Jordan could probably never make, even if she spent the rest of her life practicing to cook. "'Are you hungry?' Lynn questioned. "'Because I don't want you to eat too much during dinner, because when you're hungry, you tend to go overboard.' "'Oh, oh, oh no, this sounds more like I'm entering a date than a casual dinner where I'm getting to know people.' "'Relax, I'll feed you a bit now, so you won't destroy the food later, okay?' Jordan walked into the Rickstrom household. The kids were playing out in the backyard, six and four respectively. Lynn kept an eye on them as she stirred up some vegetables. The enchiladas were done, but Jordan was given a leftover peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a tasty treat she happily munched on while Lynn explained what was really happening. George actually had to go grab some wine. Oh, I brought some. Well, we might need two bottles, love. True. And besides, I didn't ask you to bring wine, so I thought we were totally out. I was told to make myself look good and, yeah, bring myself. Which you do look great, by the way. Eric's totally going to dig you. His name's Eric? Well, what does he do? Is he a ranger or something? Damn, want to make sure he can recover from such a dig? That's a serious question. Guys named Eric are either super geeks or, like, addicted to nature. He's neither. Your voice cracked a bit there. Okay. So he's a little addicted to nature, but he works at one of those, like, state parks or something. I don't know. How do you even know him? Because it sounds like you don't actually know him. He's actually George's friend from work. From work? George works at a state park? No, it was more of a conference thing, I guess. You're being incredibly sketchy right now. What? Why? Never mind. Never mind. Jordan sighed, eating the peanut butter and jelly. I suppose after today, I'm just a bit in an introspective mood. Inspective? What did you do today? I'm not being Elias with three murders that he believes are tied together. Oh my god, is this another one of his crackpot theories where he's too stubborn to conform with the rest of the police station and investigative team's beliefs? You do realize he's often right when he has these little moments. I do, I do, I guess. I just, I'm surprised you're going along with it. Well, I went along with your brain fart about how George knew Eric. <sighs> Maybe you and Elias would actually be good together. No, we would not. End of discussion. You think you're both so steely and so jaded. The word jaded brought back some recent memories to the surface, but Jordan fought past these memories and kept the conversation alive. You have to look at the longevity. Two similar people bore each other, while two wildly different humans burn and explode. Luckily, George and I are the same enough to, you know, have similar cores, but different enough to be exciting. See, Elias and I wouldn't be like that. Well, maybe you and Eric can be like that. Don't hold your breath. Are you still hungry? Lynn pointed to another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Without another word or submission, admission even, Jordan grabbed a second sandwich. You know, I've been happy since I broke up with Hiram. I just want to make sure you know that. I know you've been happy. I just want to make you even happier. But it's okay. Like I said, I'm happy. I believe you. Lynn's words believed her, but not much else appeared to do so. The door to the house opened up and George returned with two bottles of wine. Ah, you're already here. Did Lynn make you come early so she could verify that you looked good? Well, that and she wanted to feed my fat ass before dinner so I don't embarrass myself. George guffawed as he grabbed a bottle opener and opened a white wine. 
Also, Lynn doesn't know how the hell you guys know Eric, so I was going to ask you, unless I'm to assume that you guys invited a random stranger to hang with us for dinner? Oh, he's a client who later became a friend, George smiled. Two years ago, he and the park used my firm to sue a corporation who was dumping shit improperly, and these days, we still go out for the occasional drink. And do you think I should give Eric a chance? I don't know. See what you think tonight. I better be quick, otherwise I'll be a single maiden forever, according to Lynn. Lynn, did you say that to her? George gasped as he grabbed a wine glass. I didn't! Lynn gasped, stirring the vegetables into a frenzy. She's joking! She implied. She didn't say. I didn't mean... The doorbell rang, and the three of them paused and looked at one another. Go answer your client slash friend slash workshop, buddy. Jordan smiled. Shall we set the table, Lynn? As long as you don't eat anything off the table. Lynn said a little strongly, which only made Jordan laugh heavier. Two minutes later, the four were seated around a table filled with food. Eric and Jordan were formally introduced and sat across from each other, while George and Lynn sat across from each other. The kids, meanwhile, had grabbed food and traveled elsewhere, where the open bottle of white wine passed between the adults like gold. What did you do today, Eric? Lynn said in her sugary motherly tone. Eric took a large bite of gooey, gentrified enchilada before responding. I went on a bike ride through the park and then stopped at the office for a second, Eric explained. Oh, so both you and Jordan worked on your day off. So interesting, Lynn muttered. What makes you work 24-7 instead of a normal 40 hours a week? I, I suppose passion. Eric looked a little lost from Lynn's phrasing, and Jordan was doing her best to make it seem like it was not obvious that Lynn was trying to make connections between Jordan and Eric. It was kind of cute that Lynn cared as much as she did, but at the same time, it was perhaps too much. So next week I'll be in your neck of the woods, George explained, looking at the girls across the table. This case I was trying to minimize is going to have to play out in court, and long story short, this employer should have paid out the employee, but instead decided to fight the employee for what should be just $5,000. They're going to lose this case, probably, and spend even more money. For a couple minutes, they entertained George with his case, but then got bored and moved on to another topic involving recent politics. Thankfully, the room held similar ideology, and there wasn't too many debates. The first bottle of wine finished, and the second bottle was opened immediately. Finally, the conversation became a little bit more natural due to the tipsiness of the participants. So where do you see yourself in five years, Jordan? Eric asked. Do you want to be the judge like Lynn? Maybe the head prosecutor for the city? I don't know. I suppose I'll just wait for something to happen. I'm really happy where I'm at, so I'm not seeking anything more at this time. You? I don't know. I feel the same as you, but I can't help but think that there's something greater out there. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. I can't lie and say I saw this coming, you know, Lynn smiled after a sip of wine. The perfect family, an awesome job. I think people settle for one thing. They settle for the best family or friends, the best job, the best social life, the best romance, the best sex. It's it's almost like a you pick two situation. And if you're lucky, you pick three. Hell, if you're the luckiest out of all of them, you won't even realize what's missing out of your life. <laughs> for this conversation, I need liquor, Jordan joked as she finished her glass of wine. I bet a hundred years ago, life was so easy. You just woke up, went to work. Found and made a family, and then vacationed for Florida in your ancient years, and these days people are just trying to run all these different arenas at the same time. It's exhausting, but in some twisted way, I wouldn't have it any other way. I feel the same way, Eric smiled, raising his filled glass. Time became blurred as tipsy conversation continued for a bit, but finally most of the blur stopped, and the night was over. Thank you for having us, Jordan smiled as they finished putting the dishes away. I had a great night. So did I, Eric nodded. We'll have to do this again sometime. As Lynn and George Rexstrom closed the door behind Eric and Jordan, Eric looked over at Jordan upon the front porch of the beautiful house. I couldn't really read you, but I assume... I'm not interested. But it was great meeting you, and I had a fun time today. Why aren't you interested? 
it's not just a reason. It's a feeling. I didn't really think you had that many feelings. <laughs> well, at least you learned something about me tonight, Duran chuckled. I came because I love Lynn and George. I, I didn't come here to meet my future husband. Well, you don't have to be that serious. You're starting to smell desperate, Eric. Eh, the 30s have been scary for me when it comes to women. <laughs> I can't relate. Is there something else? You don't really have a right to ask those questions after one dinner. I, but there is, right? I could, I could just feel it in your words, your presence, just the way you deliver. Y you make it seem like I'm nothing. Like I'm trash. No, I, I had fun tonight. Don't lie, Eric sighed. These days it's hard to make something real. It's even harder to deal with real things in person, but, but don't bullshit me. Because you're not even bullshitting yourself. Eric walked down the porch of steps and entered his car right away. Jordan felt partially upset by how the conversation had soured, but she pulled out her phone and finally responded to Elias' texts. She had bigger fish to fry than to worry about Eric. Thank you so much for listening. For more podcasts and work done by me, Matt Rebar, check out my website at www.mattrebar.weebly.com. Tweet or Instagram me at Reebstar, H-R-I-B-S-T-A-R. And if you missed it, all 10 episodes of season one, Unconscious, Subconscious, are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. Until next time. <laughs>